Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. On that podcast, they have an op- they have a I think a series on the space trilogy. Oh, are and we recording? I am recording. Oh, we'll, we'll get to the welcome in a moment. All right, it's just we're just we're gonna I hit the flow. Hit the I love flow. the ransom. Let's trilogy. get it. Listeners I love, love it. it. So, um, <clears throat> he makes so I, I'm not sure which voice is which on that mm-hmm. podcast. One of them makes a big point about how it is the space trilogy. Seriously, it's not the cosmic trilogy. It's not the ransom trilogy. Because the name of the character was Unwin, and he changed it to Ransom like a week before he sent it to the publisher, and he, the the publisher he sent it to was like Unwin and Wilson or something like that, <laughs> Unwin and something. Really? And so he changed the name of the character because he didn't. He said, "Well, that's dumb to have the main character be the name of the publisher," so he changes it to Ransom. Now I think that there is a backdrop of like why he chose. Ransom. Ransom, yeah. But so he makes huh. that point, but then he's like, it's the same reason I don't say Augustine, I say Augustine, because that's how Americans say it. That and it's true. really pretentious to be like, oh, it's not that, it's not that, it's this. And I was like, well, you know, that's all well and good, but what would Lewis have said? Like, you're not the authority on the issue. Oh, that's interesting. And Lewis would have said, I don't like space trilogy. I, un- yeah, yep. Unbelievable that uh, it's, I think, undeniable Yeah, that Lewis would have not liked that because he didn't like the idea of emptiness. Yeah, and when that's you know chapters like four and five of Out yeah. of the Silent Planet, uh-huh. here's Ransom figuring all of this out when he's in, spa- in space, and he's like, "Oh, space is a horrible word for it." It's like Lewis yeah. almost himself. Interesting nugget. Uh. Okay, I'll just bring it up in books of business. Okay, so two minutes deep. Welcome to episode. <laughs> what episode is it? Fifty three. Yeah, because next episode is fifty five. I noted that spicy. because it's five after 50. Oh, boy. 50, we had a big guest, and I just noted that 55, you know, just might have another one. Making an anyway, observation there. So, um, <clears throat> it's a good one. It's worthy to say. It's a worthy, worthy comment to point out. <laughs> so, anyway, so how are you guys doing? It's good. I need coffee. You need coffee. I have coffee. coffee. I'm actually drinking your coffee. Actually, if Ooh. you make coffee, did you already make it? I did. Do you have more cup. in your office, or is it? No, I just have it in this right cup there. right here. We could have like the communal. That is a beautiful thing. I know. Yeti. Look at that. Look at that. that, that Thinklings Yeti. Oh, the chalice. The chalice. <laughs> the chalice of like life. So when you say one. that, it just makes Listener? me think of Tim Chalice and just man, <laughs> friend of the friend of the show. We, we like him. He's a good. That dude. was really good. It's Tim's Colombian, and it's beautiful. It's light roast. Let's say delightful. you did make some of that decaf. What day yeah. was that? Uh, it was your beans. Tim. It was when we interviewed. Well, we are not that guy. That guy. Yeah. The, we aren't saying. I thought we already said. Where, didn't we already I think say we did. when you, we gave did the giveaway? So okay, yeah. yeah. Welcome to fifty four. <laughs> Thank you for coming to the Instagram live. A bunch of you got some things. That was really fun. And we did mention on yeah. that episode because we gave away his book that we did an interview with Greg Kokel and Downing and, and David Downing. Oh yeah, that's right. Kokel, we were. That's I think right. Kokel was the yeah Downing. And, we didn't have to Andy made coffee. me some decaf coffee. Intelligentsia. For that El Mago. Oh, and I needed good. every ounce of decaffeinated <laughs> caffeine from that for that like three hour oh, was so long. Zoom call. It was so great. It Coco. was wonderful though. Coco is amazing. He's Greg, if you're stop. listening to this, that was so much fun. It was so awesome. Fly out to Des Moines. We'll pick you up. Come on over to the Bible College and we'll, we'll oh. do some fun stuff. I don't know. It was really, really we'll great. Look at time. some corn. Oh, we have great. Well, it's all getting <laughs> chopped down, so he's better yeah, hurry. Better hurry. Yeah. Better <laughs> hurry. Um, okay. So. I'm just gonna. Okay, so what do, what do we do right now? Books and business. Books and business. I'm sorry. Hold on. Say it, Charlie. Come on. Say it. So we, we're all we out of order. We have some thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Okay. So first, what I oh. want to do. Tim would normally go first mm-hmm. because his his content in the main episode. And your content is what in this episode? Lady Whisper. Do you remember what? Horrendous. Do you remember what it was? Uh, this is finding Lady Wisdom. Finding Lady Wisdom. And so usually whoever talks in the main episode, they go first for books and business. But, but we had this call go forth from this podcast for our listeners to send us books and business. And four of you took up the call, you know. This is so exciting. You made a good choice and you sent in books and business. Mm. And uh, so uh, we're only going to read one of them today. So Ben, Aaron, and Chloe, thank you. We have them. I have them in the in the folder in the inbox. We'll get to you at another day. But we're gonna go to Jared Lauk's books and business honorary 
books and business member. And that's probably like, what have you done for me lately? I saw him at GRC conference last week. So, um, that's probably why I he, he gave me a bag of Karis coffee from Washington. Oh, it's good. It's yes. Peruvian. We should brew that next time. And he's, he's, he's going to Peru, correct? No, he's going to Paraguay. Paraguay. Ah, yeah. was he bad. wanted to get Colombian, but the Rats. Karis roasters didn't have it that week. So he got Peruvian. It's pretty good. It I'll really edit, is. I'll edit that out. I didn't say Peru. I said Paraguay. Yeah. Okay. Let me get a couple of drops of Paraguay so I can just insert it. There in. you go. Par- he, Paraguay. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) horrendous. Jared sent us a books and business, and I'm just going to read the email. And so, hopefully, there's nothing uh, that needs to be filtered in Jared's email because this is just off cuff. So, uh, Jared Lauks to thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. And I say that because all of you can read a book, give it a rating, send it to that email, and uh, and we could read it on air. Hey guys, just finished listening to a book for the second time and thought I would share my thoughts. The book is The Essentials of Prayer by E.M. Bounds, which is a fairly common uh, title. And uh, it's, it's Andy pointed out earlier, it's open source. You can go find it on the internet and download it, print it out, read it, do whatever you want. Or if there's a copy at Faith Bookstore, you could, you know, go buy it. I don't know. It's in print. Just keep going. Anyway, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying <laughs> to. So this is what he says. E.M. Bounds has many wonderful things to say about the topic of prayer. While we may not agree with him on all areas of doctrine, his heartbeat for faithful praying of the saints of God drives for some convicting reading. He has been noted as a specialist on prayer and was recommended to me as one that would be good in quiet meditation. This book is rather short, uh, parenthesis, and made for a great book to listen to while flying to Iowa that highlights the importance and the power of prayer. The book starts off with how prayer requires the whole of man the picture of falling before the Lord, highlighting the reverence and approaching God and the acknowledgement of who God is. This is the theme of the first few chapters, draws the reader to an evaluation of our position before God. The next few chapters speak to our attitude in prayer and the book closes out with the breadth of prayer and ministry. This book was a great challenge to me in my personal prayer life. I'm continuing to study the issue of prayer and will use this book as a devotional for self-examination as, as I seek to be more like Christ in my prayer life. I think it's a good book and would score an eight Whoa. on the Thinkling's Ooh. goodness scale. That is a hefty, hefty rating. He reads wow. it for his devotions, so he yeah. really likes it. Yeah. And where did I leave off? Eight on the Thinkling's goodness scale and would encourage those who are looking to advance their prayer life to use it as a resource, but would caution that while it is not a long read, it is one to be used to challenge your heart in your time of quiet meditation. God bless you guys. Jared Lugs. Thank you, Jared. Thanks, Jared. You are in spirit sitting at the table with us this morning mm. through your books and business that you've submitted. So now, now it's your turn, Tim. Now it's my turn. Okay, so uh, first, was that Power Through Prayer? I mean, Balances are in several uh, prayer books. The Essentials of Prayer. The Essentials of Prayer. All right, very good. Thank you. Uh, so my books and business, I, <clears throat> I have another group of guys I read with, um, Ben Hartwig, Stephen Moore. Uh, Marshall Felderman, and we're currently that reading... Is, that is the same Ben who that, also sent us a books and business. Yes, he did. So see, if I would have read that, mm-hmm. you might have shown up to this today, and you might have, you know, well, I might have let the cat out of the bag, so I'm glad I didn't. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> I mean, you just said you're going to read all these on the air, but have you even read them all yet? I don't know if I would trust Ben Hartwig and what he had to oh! say. I have, I have glanced through well, that was good. most of the emails, but I haven't <laughs> read them word for word. Well, let's have the correct decorum and respect for President Hartwig, okay? <laughs> Why do you call him president? He was seminary class president, and I was like, vice president. Or maybe I was president. This is like a long time ago. Yes. So uh, so I might highlight. Or maybe he was VP. President can, President Jonathan yeah. Fuller. Oh, that's Boy. right. Hale Fuller. That's right. Seminary president. <laughs> I was asked to be an officer, and I just said no. So, Was that for the best? Uh, I think at the time I was commuting between here and Williamsburg. So oh, yeah. It's like, you know, I don't really feel like that's a thing to do. <laughs> anyway, so what's your book, Tim? So the Apocrypha is what we're reading through right now. The, 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 hold on, hold on. We can't let that one go. I'm not planning on talking about it a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> on the goodness scale. This is right uh, now. It's not very good. <laughs> so Not even on it. Okay. It's that's interesting. Well, that's a, it, it's helpful. Need to read it's it. a helpful resource. Mm-hmm. I require some of my OT some re- students to read it just because some people struggle with canonicity. Do we really have the Bible? And I'm like, well, go read it. Have you read the Apocrypha? Have you read the Pseudepigrapha? If you read them... It's like, yeah, this is clearly not the Bible. It's a, a clearly different genre and character of the Bible. I've been reading through Tobit, and there's this demon that keeps killing this uh, young woman's 
uh, husbands. So she marries seven guys, and they go into the bedroom chamber, and this demon keeps killing them all. And so they conquer the demon, and it's a story about that. Yeah, Tobit. That sounds like, I've never read it, but that sounds like uh, not, that doesn't, yeah, that's it crazy. It doesn't sound like the Bible, okay? What do we call that? Like a That's, a, that's the best summary of the Apocrypha I've ever heard, right? Well, there. that's just Tobit. I mean, you <laughs> yeah, got Judah, you, know, you uh, got... Mm, yeah, not really. Yeah, so I can't remember what you said. I've had some fun in the bookstore sometimes. Yeah, you know, remember Bell and the Dragon? Daniel chapter 14. Daniel 14. I'm like, yeah, go grab a Bible and look it up. And so they flip in their Bibles and realize there's only 12 chapters in Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel 13 and 14 are in the Apocrypha. Anyway, wow. you can read about Susanna and how Daniel saved the fair maiden Susanna from death. Uh, anyway, so Apocrypha, that's my book. Um, but today we're talking about Lady Wisdom, part two. Uh, so I'm going to just throw out a little bit. I've been continuing to study through the Lady Wisdom. I've gotten a little bit of helpful feedback on it, and I haven't been very clear uh, on one point, and I'm actually reframing the entire thing. So um, Lady Wisdom is the pinnacle of the, or- of the order of creation, the excellent wife, Ruth, the lover, the unfindable woman, and the rejecting woman. And today, we're going to be going through the unfindable woman, how she's difficult to find. And you have this, you can study it out in uh, the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Uh, even in Song of Songs, you have this finding, seeking, finding, seeking, finding, and how you can't find lady wisdom. So my thesis, I don't think was, uh, um, it wasn't really, it really wasn't just accurate. Because Lady Wisdom is not a composite character. The Excellent Wife is a composite character. Oh. So Lady Wisdom is the, the order of creation. It's the way God made the world. It's the blueprint. And that's it. Just, I was hitting on she's a composite character because she's a woman and she's connected to the pinnacle of the order of creation, the most important, the most difficult part, that being finding the, the woman. Okay, but that's not a composite character. That's just the pinnacle. That's just a portion of the order of creation. So I'm having to rework my whole paper and fix the terminology. And I haven't even settled on the title yet. But right now I've got Lady Wisdom as the pinnacle of the created order. And what is that pinnacle of the created order? The excellent wife, Ruth, the lover, the unfindable woman, and the rejecting woman. So the biblical wisdom corpus presents Lady Wisdom as a woman because marrying a God-fearing woman would have been the most difficult and most important component to wisdom. And that's what I'm basically arguing. Hmm. So just figured I'd throw that out there. So as you're going to read the content, recorded that a few months ago, and you're getting just a process in how I'm still thinking through this, and I hope you still find it helpful. I just want to say I think that's, for the listener, if you write something and then you find out you're wrong later, this is a great way to handle that. And that's actually part of learning. You write, you edit. You write, you edit. Okay, so I'm going to rate Jesus the Great Philosopher today. I'm going to give you two quotes. I'm going to go very quickly. In the book, I love this book. And I'm going to say it's an eight. Because our scale says, I'm glad I read it. The next section is, I think you should read it. And the next section is, I think you should buy it. And eight is the very first, I think you should buy it if I'm remembering our scale correctly. And I would say... I think you need to buy it, but I'm not totally sure. I think Tim would say you have to buy it, but I, this is really good. I would say you, I'm very glad I read it and you should read it and maybe even buy it. So here's a good quote. Uh, he's talking about uh, Christianity and how it relates to other uh, philosophical options for living. And he's just bring, he's just talking about the, the heart and the mind. And he has this one paragraph that's helpful. He says, the situation is very different in the Bible. And he's talking about the word heart. And he says, in both Hebrew and Greek, the words that are translated into English as heart are broader and shaped differently. The Hebrew word leb and the Greek word kardia mean the inner person in comparison with the outer person. The true person as a thinking and a feeling being is what the word heart indicates. In this, Christianity's understanding of emotions overlaps significantly with its surrounding cultures. The true inner person includes both reason and emotion. We cannot fully separate the head and the heart. So it's interesting because he takes care to point out that I think we get this on this podcast and that's part of what we're trying to do is, but thinking is not bad as a Christian. If you think too much, you're not going to automatically become a Pharisee. Um, It's actually God gave you a mind and you should use it. And so I like that he ties those two things together. And yet at the same time, it's not just a cold scholasticism uh, that is all intellectual and nothing else. He also talks about friendship, and I thought this is a worthy quote. So too, the topic of friendship. 
We lose something when we think of friendship as something especially important for children. Close, intimate, affectionate friendship between adults of the same gender was a central theme in the ancient philosophical discourse. And more importantly, it was part of people's everyday lives. Friendship, what it is, what different forms it takes, why it's important, and how to develop it, was one of the largest and most important topics in philosophy, precisely because it was such an important experience at all levels of society. Accordingly, I've saved this discussion of friendship. Oh yeah, he, he just goes on to say he's going to talk about it next. But I thought both those thoughts were maybe a nice little like capture of what you're getting in this book. Uh, he's going to be talking broadly about all of life. And then I like the friendship thought especially. I mean, we have a quote on our mug, um, the little knots of friends that turn their backs on the world are those who really transform it by Lewis. That's like one of our favorite quotes. And I think that he's just pointing out that friendship is important. Um, cult- learning to cultivate good friends. It's, it's, I would say biblically, it's how you're learning to love other people. So it's a good book. You're not going to every single thing in it agree with it, but it's a good book. I liked it. Yeah. Did you say what the, the quote there that you mentioned was from the four loves? I don't know if you said that. Oh yeah, no, I should say that. Just in case someone wanted Thank to go you. and read that Lewisy thing. Oof. But, and then I think until we have faces is meant to be, it's hard to say meant to be, but I think it's supposed to be some type of like a mythical narrative story of the principles of the four loves. There's the essay form and then there's the imaginative form. And I've read the, uh, until we have faces and it's interesting. I started it twice or once, but I, I think I got diverted. Who's your, uh, who's the, uh, Philistine? That you know, your Philistine friend? George from Georgia. George, yeah. He's going to get he, all over us. I think he sent us an email or had texted you a while back and made the comment that it was when we were talking about the Space Ransom mm-hmm. Cosmic Trilogy uh, <laughs> that we shouldn't an- try to just analyze them right away. You should try to just read yeah. them for the story's yep. sake. So when I read Until We Have Faces, that's what I tried to do. I was like, I'm only going to read this for the story. And the story is good. It does draw you in. It's interesting. And it, it it's hard to just like click that switch off in your mind of like, don't think about what Lewis is trying to do. Just read the story. Because if you understand the plot of the story and the conflict and the resolution, it, like you kind of maybe get to where he wants you to go. But that's not, that's not the book I want to talk about first. So it's interesting you bring up George from Georgia. He's actually helping me do some research this week for our episode next week. Oh, really? Yeah, so one of those things I sent you about next week, that was his. He gave me six. Cool. Yeah, so way to go, George. Yes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that uh, next week, but really this week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Veiled clues that nobody knows. <laughs> no, brother. Who, who knew a podcast could have so much time travel? Yeah. Speaking of time travel, uh, let's. I'll come back to Out of the Silent Planet, because the reason that Lewis wrote the Spacey book. It's because he and mm-hmm. Tolkien were sitting in a eating establishment, we'll call it, and uh, <laughs> horrendous drinking a large frothy glass of water, and uh, <laughs> they they kind of challenged each other. Well, if you write a time travel novel, I'll write a space novel. And uh, I don't know if we actually have the time traveling novel of uh, Tolkien. I think that's how it went down. It's something like that. I'm close, you know, maybe not a bullseye, but you know, we're up there. Uh, no, I think that's it. So I've yeah. been I've been listening to I listen to the space trilogy, Ransom Cosmic Trilogy, mm. uh, while I work out, and I just want to say that all three of us have Apple Watches. We have oh, had a yeah. competition yep. going the last week. Oh boy, I was going to bring this up, but go for it. Crown him with many crowns. Oh my word! Oh boy, I Charlie won competition. Charlie won. Did we and ever think Charlie wasn't going to win the competition? I so here's the deal, Tim. Well. I, I thought about I would just leave the door cracked open for you. Like you can only get so many points a day with the Apple Watch thing. And I did the math. And I was like, I need to get to 3,092 points. And then Tim is, it's impossible for him to surpass me. But then a little part of me, a little part of me was like, why don't you stop at like 3,040? Just to give him a little hope. And then Tim could do the math and be like, and then I'd be like, you know, good, good for you, Tim. If you like, actually, you know, the crack was there and you and you did. Yeah, it, it was totally not going to happen. And then, and then, as I was on the treadmill, I was like, no, forget that. I but love I that. I'm this. just this mental picture of Charlie turning the exertion level up to like ten and booking it on that treadmill. I'm going to beat Tim. 
So you were only like thirty points behind him at one point, like two days ago. I was ahead of him. A few well, he times. okay. There was one night I went to bed okay. at like eleven fifteen. <laughs> this is great. And I was uh, for the day. I was up by like three hundred points. Like I had worked out that day, or I maybe I hadn't. I think it was Wednesday night actually. And I got back from church and I looked. And I'm like, oh okay. Neither of these guys are going to work out on a Wednesday night after church. And I went to bed at like eleven something in that range. And Tim, <laughs> you sneaky dog. Went out and did a workout, like went and went on a walk at like eleven thirty and got like all these points. And I'm like, what? I woke up the next day and I couldn't believe it. But if you hadn't done that, I would have just blown the competition away at that point. I'm so. glad I could be an instrument in God's instrument in your physical sanctification. It's not working. <laughs> anyway, it's close. I go You're... for a walk with my wife and sometimes it's rather late. So that was the late night yes, workout. Yes. Anyway, so while I have been doing the cardio portion of the workout, I have been listening to Out of the Silent Planet, and I, I noticed something that I think deserves attention. Ooh, I'm excited. So I'm going to ask you guys, what tense is the story written in? I think, so technically the narrator is telling the story that's already happened. So I think it's yes. past tense. There is a narrator. And if you haven't read the book, you figure this out at the end of the book. I don't feel like I'm spoiling something that. Well, the opening, he has that opening thing saying, reader, I don't, don't ask me how I got this. And he tries to set it up, right? It's opening. Yeah. There's an, isn't there an open, maybe it's not. I thought that was at the end. Anyway. So you find out that the main character of the book gave this information to someone else. And that's like the person compiling the story. And, uh, so it's all like ransom this, ransom this, it, he, she, it, like all kind of third person narrator. Hmm. I noticed that in chapter seven, so seven chapters in, so just this is right when they get to Melchandra. Mm-hmm. They get they get out of the ship, and he's trying to figure out what he's looking at. And I think the narrator actually intentionally, in a second person voice, addresses the reader, and he hasn't done that at all in, in the rest huh. of the book. And he he says something to the extent of you can't. You, you can't see something until you know what it is. And it's, and it, it's still like a narration in a sense, but, but it's, it's the only, it's the only comment in the first seven chapters that could be rendered. as like, and it, it definitely is commentary because he's not telling you what was happening and he's not addressing a character because he says you, mm-hmm. but it's, it's the, the, the narrator giving a commentary of what's happening, which is, I think unique at that point in the story. Yeah. I don't think that's happened yet. Because it's all like what Ransom had been experiencing. And I just think that's kind of interesting. Like, there's a backdrop of uh, Lewis, and he had this other friend, Owen Barfield, and they kind of disagreed on things like uh, how the senses affect your perception and like uh, theories of existence and things like that. And so I just think that comment is somewhat interesting. And so I might kind of try and figure out what he, you know. Because it's it's a it's he's he's looking at all these colors of the of the new world and he can't quite figure out what he's looking at and all that da, 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 da. so, but then he's like you can't really see something until you know what it is and it's like well, what what do you mean you can't see something until you know what it is like you don't and it's, it's getting into that like oh, saving the appearances yeah. like yep. an alpha thought a beta thought you know like you you can see what it is but then your mind perceives and knows what you've already learned it to be yeah but so on a new planet where you've never perceived these things before, what is he struggling with? Well, nothing's been named, yeah. He so doesn't he, know yeah. what any of it is. Exactly. And so he's not... Like, what am and I so looking then at? That, he's describing that, like the colors, the formations, da 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 da, da. And then the, the, the storyteller kind of like pauses and like just says, well, you know, you can't really see something until you know what it is. And it's like, it's like just a, like a snippet of like perception theory. And it's... It, it, and it, I, yeah, so this is how crazy I am. I get to that point <laughs> of the book and I'm like, is that the first time he's done something like that where he like narrator comments on it? I'm like, well, the only way to know is to like re. Oh yeah. Go Charlie, back through. Go so I, it. in the middle of chapter seven, just yeah, restarted. That's right. And like really paid attention. And yes, I think that's the only time he did that in the first seven chapters. Anyway. So that's awesome. Going back through that, that, that that's not really a fair books and business. I've also been listening to the play, not listening to, I've actually been reading the play, uh, Antigone by oh, uh, Sophocles yeah. that, Dr. Boyd. Dr. Boyd yeah. mentioned a few uh, episodes ago. How do you like it? It is interesting, and it's 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 a play, and so there's a lot less time given to like details of the story, 
it's like right away, like these characters are there and they're having this dialogue. So, I mean, in about 20 minutes, you're going to get right to the heart of the issue that you were not supposed to bury this guy. I told you not to. Hmm. Why did you do it? And then the main character, Antigone, it's like, the gods have a, a greater law than yours, Crayon. Like, so right away, you're into that conflict. And uh, I was actually at a coffee shop in my hometown, Williamsburg, and I actually had a middle school teacher walk in. Like, I had her for geometry class when I was in junior high. And she grabbed it. I have it printed out because it's open source. You can just print it. I have it printed out. And uh, I was talking with someone else. And she's like, what are you reading? And I was like, well, it's, an, it's a classical Greek play. Da, 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 and just spouted off some of the, you know, information that Dr. Boyd just has off cuff, you know. And I probably, <laughs> I probably just messed up like half of it. But I was like, here's the essence of it. And she's like, you know, I think I read this in college. Oh, really? I'm like, do you remember any of it? She's like, no, not at all. <laughs> and she's like, but you're jogging my memory. And, you know, I'm like, thinking, and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of apt for this day and age where there's things that the government are telling us we need mm-hmm. to do. Yep. And is there, you know, you know, how do you, yeah, anyway. So that's, uh, and I, I do think that that is, there, there's a reason it's a, in a sense, quote unquote, classic. Yeah. Right? Classic. Yeah. Uh, that is assigned and in, in yep. done in, in colleges. And, yep. Why Dr. Boyd, I don't know if he assigns it to students here, but I, there's value there. And so I, I would maybe say it's probably like a five okay. scale. So, yeah. Cool. So we're done. I want to just say something about Lady Wisdom before, or did you have another books in business you're doing? Nope, that's it. I was actually going to say, do you have any closing comments I before do. we jump into finding Lady content. Wisdom? Go ahead. I'll go read. first. So you were correct, Charlie. It's a postscript in Out of the Silent Planet, not a prescript. Preface, preface, not a preface, sorry, preface. Until we have prefaces. I know. (laughs) So you're correct. So I kind of wonder if it's a preface in like uh, that hideous strength because he's catching you up. But all right, that's all I had to say. Yeah. So on this Lady Wisdom episode, remember when I'm talking about the composite nature of Lady Wisdom, it's really the composite nature of the excellent wife. All I have to say is pretty much the same. It's just a terminology distinction. Uh, the excellent wife is a composite character representing Lady Wisdom, the pinnacle of the order of creation. So that's it. Awesome. Enjoy the episode. And just say you don't want to miss next week. So oh, it's gonna be, be ready. We're going to have some fun. See you next week on the Thinklings Podcast. Let's talk about Lady Wisdom again. So uh, a few episodes ago, we talked about Lady Wisdom and how she was a composite character. She was the order of creation, the personified order of creation, and uh, she is the virtuous woman, the virtuous wife, uh, excellent wife in uh, Proverbs 31. And then as a composite character, she is also the character of Ruth. Now today I want to talk about Lady Wisdom as wife in Proverbs 1 through 9, and I want to connect her to the lover, the lover. So in Proverbs chapter 5, we don't like to think of wisdom in this way, but actually the biblical text does paint her as a, lo- as a lover. And, and so I want to con- connect Proverbs 5 and um, Proverbs 1 through 9, really the whole thing, to the Song of Songs. And I'm going to argue that the woman in the Song of Songs, the female lover, okay, is Lady Wisdom. She is the excellent wife. Um, it's all the same person. And I'm going to hopefully connect that to Solomon and give an application to young men and to married men on how they can find uh, that excellent wife. Um, And if you're already married, guess what? You found her already. All right, so what do we have in the book of Proverbs? We have this terminology that is rather intimate in reference to wisdom itself. So in Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4, I'm going to start at verse 4. Well, uh, yeah, verse 4. He also taught me and said to me, this is a father teaching the son. It's actually the grandfather teaching the father, who's then teaching the son. Keep my commands and live. Verse 5. Get wisdom. Get understanding. The word there for get is to like buy, to acquire. It's the same term that Boaz uses in Ruth chapter 4. And thinking through an ancient Near Eastern culture, what was done, but uh, a dowry was often paid and a wife was then acquired. And so the terminology there to get wisdom, get understanding is similar to marriage terminology. 
I'm going to keep reading in verse 5. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. The word for forsaking is like abandoning. And it's often, it's not often, but it's sometimes used in reference to marriage or the the dissolution of marriage, okay, the the divorce. So do not forsake her. She will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. You have love there specifically, okay? So I don't need to explain that one. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. Now, the word there for embrace is one I want to highlight specifically. It is actually a rather intimate word. It's used in Proverbs 5.20. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? So in Proverbs 5.20, the embrace there in the arms of a seductress obviously has intimate connotations. The same word is used in the book of Song of Songs. In Song 2.6 and get my Bible there. And in uh, Song 8.3, we have this phrase, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. So what do we have? We have, you're supposed to embrace Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 4. Well, who is the Song of Songs lover? She is Lady Wisdom. She's a composite character. She's your wife. That's who Lady Wisdom is. And that embracing idea is found in both the book of Proverbs and the book of Song of Songs. Now you might be like, okay, that's pretty tenuous. All right. Do you have any other proof? And the answer is yes, I do. Okay. So Proverbs chapter seven, we have more intimate terminology. Chapter seven, verse three, bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Now, when we think of sister, we're like, okay, yeah, that's kind of interesting. The sister, uh, uh, all right, well, what, what's the big deal there? That doesn't sound that intimate. Well, in the book of Song of Songs, one of the favorite words that the, the male lover uses, uh, describes the female lover is sister. Uh, you'll see it, you see it several times, and I'm just going to read one in chap- Song 5, verse 1. I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. And this, this is a metaphor or um, a, an analogy that really fails on us in a, in a modern audience, but that's what this is referring to, is this is another intimate term. And you're like, oh, is there any support there from Proverbs chapter 7? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. So verse 4, say to wisdom, you are my sister, call, I'm in Proverbs 7 again, 7, 4, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who fighters with her words. Okay, so I'm just going to give a little teaser. This is a three-part series. We are in part two. Part three, we're going to come back to this idea of lady wisdom and calling her your sister and how she's going to help keep you from the immoral woman. And we'll talk about that again in the next episode. But for this episode, the point that I'm trying to establish is that Lady Wisdom is um, the virtuous woman, the excellent wife, Ruth, Proverbs 1 through 9, Wisdom, and the female lover in the Song of Songs. All right? And so they're all the same character. And it's really a, what is a feminology, a study of what it means to be a woman. And you have these three books. And by the way, in the Hebrew canon, they had Proverbs, in the order of their canon, they had Proverbs, they had Ruth, and then they had Song of Songs. It's almost like historically they may have understood it this way. So that's just a quick little tidbit. Now, I'm going to talk back to Solomon. Solomon, the master lover, well, what does he wants to do? He wants to marry Lady Wisdom. He wants to be wise. Now I'm going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and I want to apply this to married, well, to men, period, married or otherwise. So Ecclesiastes chapter 7 I'm going to start at verse um, 23. Um, All of this I have proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. Look at that statement. He's like, I am going to be wise. I'm going to do it. It's going to be here. It's going to be mine. Next line, but it was far from me. So he fails to be wise. Isn't this fascinating? Here's the wisest man who's ever lived. And he's saying, I'm going to be wise. And then he says, I'm not wise. 
And I have even taught this text as meaning he's looking for Lady Wisdom, he fails to find her. But I always understood it as just being personified Lady Wisdom. I never connected it to his wives. And now I believe that it's both. It's Lady Wisdom. It's his wife. I'm going to be wise. And you see that in uh, the next verse. As for that which is far off, keyword there, far off, and exceedingly deep, who can find it out? When you're talking about something you cannot find and something that's far off, what does that sound like? Proverbs 31.10. I'm going to read Proverbs 31.10. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. This uh, allusion back to Proverbs 31.10 has not missed on commentators. Some have recognized that allusion uh, to Proverbs 31.10. So he says, I'm going to be wise. But guess what? He fails to be wise because he fails to marry Lady Wisdom. And that's what he says here uh, in verse 24 then, as for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it out? I didn't marry Lady Wisdom. So then verse 25, I applied my art to know, to search and seek out wisdom, the reason of things, to know wickedness of folly. And I find, here's something that he does find. What does he find in verse 26? More bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets. See, he gets Dame Folly. He fails to find Lady Wisdom. Now I'm going to skip down because of time. I'm going to skip down to verse 28, which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. See, he's looking. And now what does he not find? He finds Dame Folly in verse 26. What does he not find in verse 28? One man among a thousand I have found. So there's one wise man out of a thousand. Very rare. But a woman among all of these I have not found. So a thousand men, one good one. Okay, well, I'm going to marry a thousand women. Guess what? They're all bad. Okay, he doesn't get a good one. He doesn't get lady wisdom. Now, what, what is the problem with Solomon? Okay, so he says in the next verse, Truly this only I have found. God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Solomon doesn't say what his scheme is. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't describe his, his scheme. But I think he does give you an idea what the scheme is in the book of Song of Songs. In Song 1, verses 5 and 6, I'm just going to read it. I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. And this is the key phrases that I'm getting into here. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. The vineyard is a metaphor. Well, the first one's a literal vineyard. She's keeping vineyards. The second one is a metaphor for her body. The first use of the metaf- of a vineyard, she's actually literally working in the fields. This has resonance with Proverbs 31. In the Proverbs 31 woman, what does she do? She finds a vineyard, she, or a plot of land, whatever, she buys it, she plants a vineyard, and she's fruitful with her hands. Here, the, she's, she's doing it out of compulsion, um, but, but, um, but there's a connection there with Proverbs 31 woman that she's working, okay? On the flip side, her own vineyard, she has not kept. Her own uh, body, she's not been able to tend it. Now, this word for keeping, keepers, okay, occurs four times in the Song of Songs. You just saw two of them. And it's connected to a vineyard. The next two times the word keeper occurs is at the end of the book. When you have something at the beginning and at the end, you have an inclusio, all right? And so there's a connection there between those, the keeping and the vineyard. In in Song 8, verses 11 and 12, I'm going to read the two verses. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He leased the vineyard to keepers. Everyone was to bring for its fruit a thousand silver coins. My own vineyard is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand, and those who tend its fruit, two hundred. Okay, so again, we have vineyard terminology here. The vineyard here at Baal Hamon is not a literal vineyard. Okay, we saw it in the beginning in Song 1. It's a metaphorical vineyard, and it's a reference to his harem. The word Baal Hamon means the master or husband of many, and Solomon was the husband of many. All right, so that's a reference to his harem. He leased the vineyard to keepers. So he is not keeping his own vineyard, his harem, his ladies. He has too many. 
he has to pay others to take care of his vineyard for him. Um, everyone was to bring for its fruit a thousand silver coins. Now this is a thousand. It's interesting that we had a thousand women in Ecclesiastes 7. We also know that Solomon in 1 Kings 11 had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So he had a thousand women. Here we have this resonance with a thousand, but this time it's not the quantity of his women. It's the quality, all right? Or at least the perceived quality. A man in the like Solomon in the ancient Near Eastern world, of course, is going to enjoy intimacy a specific way, and it's going to be lavishly with a woman that is beautiful, soft, fragrant, so on and so forth. Look at Esther 2.8. Esther went through a year of beauty treatments before she was brought to King Ahasuerus. You have a similar um, situation here. Solomon's vineyard is luxurious. So the thousand creates resonance with his thousand woman, but it's not talking about the quantity of his woman. It's talking about the quality. In technical terminology, this would be a metonymy of a cause. The silvers, the money, is the cause of the effect, the beauty, the fragrance, the softness, and all of that associated with it. But look at what the woman does. Remember, who is the woman? She's Lady Wisdom. In the very next verse, she says, my own vineyard is before me. And this is a very emphatic phrase. Solomon fails to find Lady Wisdom. Do you see that? My vineyard is before me. He's got his vineyard, okay? But the keepers, the keepers are not him. And then what does she say? You, O Solomon, may have a thousand. You've got your thousand Woman, you could say a thousand silvers, but it's really referring to the same thing. The group of ladies that are both quantity thousand, quality thousand, and those who tend its fruit two hundred. Okay, so you have your the the people tending it as well. They have their two hundred. Okay, is that a reference to their uh, how much he's paying them so that the, to take care of it? Or um, I'm not entirely sure on that point. I, I gotta have to check my notes. But the point being established I want to hit on here is that Solomon's not tending his own vineyard. What is he doing? He's leasing it out to others. And as a result, what does he not get? He doesn't get lady wisdom. Now, last session, I talked about Proverbs 31. And Proverbs 31, who can find the virtuous wife? Here, Solomon, he fails to get lady wisdom. And what is the specific area that she highlights is the cause why he fails to find her. The tending of the vineyard. You have the tending of the vineyard in chapter 1. Who's tending the vineyard in chapter 1? The woman is. Is that the way that it's designed? Is that the order of creation? Answer, no. At the end of the book, Solomon, he's not tending his vineyard. He's paying others to tend the vineyard. And he's elevated this luxurious, intimate relationship and thinking that's the order of creation. That's the way wisdom uh, says to enjoy intimacy. And what does the woman say? Nope, you missed it, buddy. Well, then what's the answer? How do you find Lady Wisdom? Song 2.15. And throughout the book of the Song of Songs, you have this vineyard, this garden, this woman idea. And what is the man supposed to do? He's supposed to tend to the vineyard. He's supposed to take care of the vineyard. And by tending the vineyard, by taking care of the vineyard, what in fact are you actually doing? You are creating, I don't want to create, but you're cultivating Lady Wisdom, okay? You are making your wife Lady Wisdom by loving her biblically, correctly. So Song 2.15, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for her vines have tender grapes. The word there for catch is like seize, seize these little foxes. What is the responsibility of the man? He is supposed to identify the foxes in the relationship and take care of them, address them. And by doing that, what is he doing? He's demonstrating love for his spouse. He's demonstrating love for his wife by constantly, selflessly, sacrificially tending to the vineyard. Now, some of you might be like, well, man, my vineyard, I definitely didn't marry Lady Wisdom. And I'm like, well, what is your responsibility before God? You love her. You tend the vineyard. You continue to live selflessly and sacrificially pointing her to the Lord. And uh, you, that's what you do. And I would, I would um, 
the way that that creation works, that selfless, sacrificial love. Remember, when you're loving, you're not doing it to get something in return. There's no manipulation here. There's just genuine, selfless, sacrificial love. Then um, that is, um, I would say, a principle means by which it's not always going to happen. I'm not going to give you some kind of a guarantee. There's no guarantee in wisdom literature. But generally, what happens is that there is some reciprocation. There's usually some kind of reciprocal um, reciprocity there. And again, I'm trying to couch this in that. You might think, oh yeah, well, I tried that and it didn't work. Well, that you tried it means you didn't do it correctly because that wasn't selfless. That wasn't sacrificial. You were still wanting something in return and you're expecting something in return. Okay. You're not getting anything. You're accountable before God and God alone. And you love and you love and you love and you don't really, you don't care. Okay. If there is ever reciprocity, that's the way that this is designed. This is the fearing the Lord and you're going to do what's right. You're going to trust him and love your spouse regardless if there's any reciprocity at all. Okay, so I've, I've just explained to you how wisdom, Lady Wisdom is not necessarily found. She's actually kind of created by selflessly and sacrificially loving her and tending to the vineyard again and again and again. And uh, through that lifelong exclusive monogamous relationship. Now, I'm going to throw that back at you guys. And by the way, this is the scheme in Ecclesiastes 7.29. Solomon thought intimacy was enjoyed through the fragrant, soft, beautiful, luxurious woman that was tended by the keeper. And he learned, no, that's not it. The intimacy, the way God designed it is in this way, through um, living with one another and having to live selflessly and sacrificially. That's how you actually deepen that relationship and enjoy intimacy with Lady Wisdom, the way that God designed it. So throwing it back at you guys now, what do you guys think? That's really helpful. So I've never, I, I mean, I've sat through your Song of Solomon Sunday School class like five years ago. I've heard you preach on that. I don't think I ever caught the cultivating uh, aspect of wisdom in a, in a relationship. But man, it, I remember um, reading uh, Husbands Love Your Wives as Christ Loved the Church, sacri- giving himself up or sacrificing. And I remember, like, I don't know how long ago this was, thinking that, oh, I need to sacrifice. And that, go, I mean, that's just saying what you're just saying right there. And so many times in a relationship, and I understand this is talking about marriages, but even, I think like, even in a friendship, you can be very selfish and you can be friends with another person for what it gets you. And I think if you've been in that kind of relationship, you know what it's like when you think, oh, that person, they don't really care about me. They just care about what's going on. Right. Getting something out of it. This will be my first comment. My second comment, and then that'll be it, is I remember reading a book on marriage and the author was saying, because you'd mentioned like, what if I married... I didn't marry Lady Wisdom. It's really cool because our culture has this like, you got to find the one, you know, garbage. And you're saying it doesn't matter what you cultivate it. And then they become the one if the Lord is gracious, but it doesn't matter. You keep doing that. And so he was addressing the question of what if I married the wrong person? How do I know if I married the right person? And the author said, there, I actually know how to find that out. He's like, this is, if you want to know if you've married the right person, I have a, a, like a complete objective. You can know for sure. You cannot have that concern. You can actually know it. This is what you do. Look at your marriage license and see what the name is. And it was a beautiful picture of like, this is how commitment works. You don't like do that. So and that was helpful. Thanks. Okay. I've got, <clears throat> got a number of thoughts here. So what's interesting to me is cause we're, so we're, I don't know if you caught kind of the correlation of a lot of passages. So we talked about Ecclesiastes 7. We talked about song. Uh, a lot, really, I think mainly probably song 2 and 8 were probably the big hitters. Right? Yeah, 1 is lightly, and then chapter 8 and 2. And then and then Proverbs 31. Uh, so, so what's interesting is there's this, you talk about this cultivation idea, and each of these books have a different emphasis. So like they're, they're all, the books being Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. They're all written by the same author. And so they're focusing on different things, but it's interesting to me how they correlate with each other. Because, so in Ecclesiastes, what is he testing? He's testing how to find satisfaction and joy in life. And what's so funny, because in Song of Solomon, is he's trying to find the woman and he doesn't find her. What does he do in Ecclesiastes 2? He plants a huge garden. He 
plants a huge garden, fruit trees, irrigation, uh-huh. like a million dollar enterprise in, in Israel. And yeah. I, don't, I think that is literal. Like he's trying to find joy in life and the way he's doing it is building this great enterprise. And he's like, this is empty. And that was on the level of his work, like his, his occupation. But then translate that same idea over into his love life. And what is he doing? He's, he's planting vineyards. Yeah. He's got a thousand of them. And he's like, yeah, this isn't it. And it, and, and it just it bring And then in Proverbs, living a wise life, and there's ways to be wise and there's ways not to be wise, but it all kind of circulates on this, this common theme of finding the woman and uh, not just the, the physical woman that is his wife and, and, and loving her, but how it wraps into the other loves that kind of dominated his life. And and you know the story of Solomon is is well known, but he's he's very wise, but he has a lot of vices, and he um, for most of his life he doesn't. I mean, he, he did love the Lord, but then he turned, and the women turned his heart. And when you have a, a wicked heart, and you have lots of money and lots of women, bad things happen. Um, but it's just interesting to me how th- those ideas kind of all circulate with each other, um, and it is it is all about being satisfied. Like his life with his work, with his wife, so many of these things, with with the Lord, he wasn't content. Right. And then, you know, what's the key to it all? Like, well, fi- quotes, finding Lady Wisdom, which there is this composite idea, which is to love the Lord, you find wisdom. And then that changes the way you do everything. And then how he brings up multiple times how he wasn't wise in the spiritual sense with Lady Wisdom, his wife. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's really great. And the connection with Ecclesiastes and contentment was actually where I first went with the study, and it definitely applies. And so the application would be, be content with your wife. She might not be as young and beautiful as she used to be, all right? She might not be as, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, or might be not be that ideal lover that you wished you had. Well, whatever that is, is probably a problem with you, not her. And so um, thinking through it from that perspective, Solomon actually helps us because what kind of intimacy did he enjoy? He enjoyed the intimacy that even our culture values today. And this is even a rebuke upon our young men looking for the wrong things in a, a spouse. What is Solomon instructing? I think even young men in Song 8, guess what? I had the best. I had the most and I had the best, okay? The thousand and the thousand silvers creating the best. And guess what? I missed it. That's not where Lady Wisdom is at. That's not the order of creation. Instead, there is that application, just like Charlie was saying, be content with the with the, the woman that you have. It's almost like Proverbs chapter five, let her <clears throat> satisfy you at all times, okay? Um, and um, enjoy her. She is your Lady Wisdom. And by being content with her and cultivating that garden, who knows what might happen in that relationship? Even if right now, maybe it's not the best, who knows what might happen with it? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.